So I thought I was gonna. I thought I'd start with a question tonight. Um, who remembers the first sermon that I preached this year, July, uh, January twelfth, two thousand fifteen? Probably some of you have committed it to memory. You've studied it. You've poured over it. You've reviewed it over and over and over again to glean every last ounce of valuable truth. Anybody remember? I've preached it before. It's like um, the first Sunday of each year, I'm often compelled to go to this text. But in case you don't remember, or you, might not, you, you may not have been here, um, you remember we took a long look at God? We just looked at God, and we rejoiced in who God is. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. It's like I want to look at Him uh, that first Sunday of every new year because I want to be in awe, right? Don't you? If you're not in awe, you either haven't met Him or you're in some kind of stupor. If you're not in awe of this, of this great God who speaks 400 plus billion galaxies into existence merely because He can this is no stretch for him. He speaks and worlds stand forth. He's an awesome God. And so the first yeah, Sunday of each year, I always like to look at him and worship and be in awe. Now for most of the year since that time, for the first six months, I have been challenging you to radically follow God. It's what we've been talking about. Um... For you to be His disciple. We've had a few topical sermons and a few special occasion sermons that have come up, but principally I've been pushing you to believe that He's awesome and to live like He's awesome. It's the first line in the introduction of my book to be released this week. Daniel 11.32, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, particularly the King James Version. The people that do know their God shall be strong, and what? They shall do exploits. Because we know Him, we're in awe of this great God, perpetual wonder at who He is. It's our natural reflex to make much of Him and to live a huge life of faith. We talked a lot about this. I'm just going to review a couple of the, the things that we've learned about Him as we've gone through this first six months of the year. We are, as Christians, we are uninhibited seekers of God. Amen? This is one of the most ubiquitous commands of God in Scripture. He says, seek me. Seek me. Seek me. Never stop seeking me, for all eternity will be seeking to know more about this great God. We talked about desiring God like Moses in Exodus 33, when he said, Lord, show me your glory. Are you praying that, beloved? Show me your glory in my life. Show me your glory in my career. Show me your glory in my family, in my money, in my church. Show me your glory, Lord. As Moses prayed, we've talked about this great doxology there at the end of Romans uh, 11 where Paul just breaks out into worship. This great God who's like our God, who saves like our God, right? And then he challenges us to 
to give ourselves away to Him in obedience. We talked about uh, this deep joy that we have in Christ, like the man in Matthew 13, 44, who sold all that he had to gain the field, the metaphor being he gave all that he was and all that he had that he might know Christ, that he might love Christ and be in relationship with Christ. We talked about the love of the prostitute there in Luke chapter 7 when she comes and she worships Jesus and she lets her hair down and she wipes His feet. And she loves Him more than anything else or combinations of anything else. She loves this great Savior. And we, we, we made the point, you and I are spiritual harlots. If we're honest with ourselves, I don't care how long you've been a church member there was a time in your life when you loved something more than Jesus. You are a harlot just like I'm a harlot, spiritually speaking. And we see in this woman this great love for a forgiven harlot, which, which that is what I am. We saw this complete and utter and absolute trust that Abraham exhibited in Genesis 22 when God called him to do this hard thing, to sacrifice his son, Abraham never questioned, he never hesitated, he never doubted, he just took Isaac to Mount Moriah. We know the story. And then we talked about following Jesus like the disciples did there in, in John chapter 1 and John chapter 21. And we made the point, you know, once you come to Christ, you can never go back. You can never go back. It can never be like it was. That's what John 21 is all about. You remember the disciples, it appeared that they were moving back to their old way of life. And Jesus came and said, are you going to follow me or not? <laughs> are you going to do what I said or not? You can never stuff Jesus into your old way of life. Your life must change. It will change. It will change. Not simply because it must, but because you want it to change. Because you want more of Jesus you want to obey Him more. You want to know Him more. You want to relate to Him more. You want to witness for Him more. It's an insatiable drive of every born-again Christian. We never get comfortable. We're never just merely religious people who attend church. This is an abomination to God. We are pursuing Him and desiring Him above all things. You may remember we had that sermon on Matthew 14, 29, where we talked about Peter getting out of the water. Pardon me, getting out of the boat onto the water. Uh, that makes a little more sense. And I used the song, Oceans Where Feet May Fail. I love that song. God is always calling His people out onto the water. I know He's calling you out onto the water in some sphere or aspect of your life, even now. And of course the challenge is to go with Him. I love how Hillsong sings it. They, they, they ask for trust that is without borders. Don't you love that? Don't you love that line? Trust without borders. Is that how it is with you and Jesus? Trust without borders. It doesn't matter what He calls me to do. It doesn't matter. Even if it's impossible, if it, even if it's walking on the water, it doesn't matter. I'm going to obey. Real Christians obey. Not perfectly, but inevitably. We obey. We persevere. We go on. We go on with God. 
In the last few weeks, we've talked about Hebrews 11, where God clearly defines faith and He illustrates it so we can not be confused about what true biblical saving, born-again faith looks like. It looks like real men and real women with real faith and a real God making a real difference in the real world. So, after saying all that, I have a question for you. Um, why is it that you and I have the license to live our faith as big as we dare? Why can we do it? Why do we not have to be afraid? Why do we not have to shrink back? Why do we not have to compromise like the rest of the world? Why can we be radical disciples of Jesus? Anybody want to tell me? It's because He's God. He really is God. He's not some stupid wannabe God like all the rest of the false gods in the world. He's not some made-up cartoon God. He's not some, you know, if it weren't so sad, I would laugh kind of God. He, he really is God. This is why Christians live like they live. This is why we do what we do. <laughs> this is why some of us die. Simply for giving witness. Because He's God. And He's worth it. And I love Him more than anything else. And I love Him more than anyone else. The relationship is real. It's real. And so we can be real Christians because our God is a real God. And as you have often heard me say, those of you who have been around for a while, I like to say it like this, ain't nobody do me like Jesus, right? So you heard me say this before, some of you? This is uh, African-American dialect in the southern part of the U.S. It's, a, it's from an uh, African-American spiritual. Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. And because that's true, <laughs> man, I do have liberty to be a disciple. I can do Hebrews 11 because ain't nobody do me like Jesus. In case some of y'all need a translation on that. It just means simply that nobody's ever loved me like Him or protected me like Him or provided for me like Him or saved me like Him. No one's ever promised me the things that Jesus has promised. Nobody has ever committed themselves to me like He has committed Himself to me. Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. So, I thought it would be good after six months of sermons challenging you to be a radical disciple of Christ, to be radically committed to Christ, I thought it would be good for us to remember, and particularly for those of you who may be leaving shortly, why it's completely reasonable for you to be radically committed. Why it really is the only reasonable response to Jesus Christ. It's because He's radically committed to you. And I thought after challenging you for six months, <laughs> you know, hammering you on this stuff a little bit, and it's, it's, like I always tell you, it's what God's dealing with me. The preacher's always preaching for himself. And it seemed good. 
that we would stop and remember how committed He is to us. You know He's committed to you, right? Beloved, you know this. There can be no question as to how deeply and, and profoundly God is committed to His people. If it weren't for His outrageous and uncompromising commitment to us, we'd still be naked, we'd still be lost, we'd still be trembling behind the bush. But God came for us. God came for us. And He has saved us. And no one or no thing can change that. Our God is not only with us and He's not only in us. What does the Bible tell us in Romans 8? He's for us. God is for His people. He is unconditionally committed to us. We will be strong and we will do exploits because He is an awesome God who is faithful and trustworthy and competent. Don't ever shrink back because you don't think God will show up. You haven't heard anything we've been talking about for the last six months. <laughs> you don't have to ever shrink back. You can be a warrior, a spiritual warrior in every context because your God is God and He does whatever He pleases in heaven and in earth. And He's called you to be His witness. So beloved, are you doing His work? Are you His faithful witness? His commitment is conspicuous, is it not? It's in His incarnation. Why be incarnated? It's in His life. It's in His death. It's in His burial. It's in His ascension. It's in His promise to return. His commitment to you and me, it is conspicuous. I often tell you that God has done all things for His Glory, and I always love how the 18th century American theologian Jonathan Edwards talks about this. Yes, God has put His glory on display for all intelligent moral beings to behold. But with the redeemed, He's doing another thing. And this is what Edwards talks about. God is not only revealing His glory and showing His glory, God is communicating it. Don't you love that? He's communicating His glory to His people. He's revealing Himself to His people. And in some mysterious way, we won't just see it, we will taste it. All you got to do is read John 17. I know the young adults, we spent a couple of weeks in John 17 earlier this year. As Jesus prays to the Father, Jesus says, verse 13, that we may have, the people of God may have His joy, His joy, infinite joy, divine joy made full in us. Verse 22, Jesus prays that the glory of the, that the Father gave the Son, He is giving to us. Verse 23, Jesus prays that the Father has loved us even as the Father has loved the Son. Listen, if you ever start to feel sorry for yourself, all you got to do is go to John 17. 
you won't feel sorry for yourself very long. These are amazing things. These are breathtaking things that Jesus is praying for you and I. That the Father would love me even as He loves the Son? Surely He would love me in some subordinate way, right? Surely it would be some lesser way. No! According to Jesus Christ, it's exactly the same. I am loved even as the Son of God is loved. These are amazing things. And if you don't worship at these things, beloved, I, I challenge you. I challenge you. These are astonishing things. Jesus says in verse 24, we will be with Him and we will behold His glory. Verse 21, He prays like this, even as the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, that we may be in them. As we talked about with the young adults uh, a month or so ago, as one theologian said with great caution, it's almost as if, it's not, but it's almost as if, it's not, but it's almost as if the redeemed are the fourth member of the Trinity. It's, it's the sense you get when you read John 17. It's, it's breathtaking. It just makes you want to get on your face and worship God loves me like this. I'm not only going to see the glory of God, I'm going to taste the glory of God. In some mysterious way that no right-thinking theologian would ever try to parse, I'm not going to parse that for you. I'm not going to define that for you. It's too awesome to speculate. All I know is what God has said. In some mysterious, awesome, worship-provoking way, we will be enveloped in the glory of God. We do not share in the glory of God, but we will taste it. We will see it. We will be, as C.S. Lewis says, enveloped. And it, this makes my heart race when I think deeply about these things. God means for you to think about these things, beloved. God means for you to be moved and in awe and consequently to be His witness in the world. So let the whole created order stand in awe. This God has loved His people like this. Ain't nobody... Do me like Jesus. So as some of you leave, I want to make sure you never forget this truth that God is radically committed to you. I hope you never forget it. And I hope you'll go out in the world and live like you believe it. Your life, as I say all the time, it's, it's not about you. It's not preeminently about you. I know you think it's about you. You're confused sometimes. You get up in the morning, you think it's about me. It's not about you. You were made in the image of God that you might reflect God. That's your job. You're an image bearer. I've been studying... This week at a conference, I was studying the, the intricacies of the human body. It is, you have to get on your face. When you look at the cell, and you see the genius of the cell, and the coded, the DNA, and all the little machines inside the one cell, you know, inside your body, and, and the three billion letter word perfectly spelled in the DNA, and then some spee, well, you have to be a Romans 1 guy. 
You have to be pushing down the truth, don't you? The longest word known to man, three billion characters. It's in the DNA. It's in exactly the right order. And that's why Sarah is who Sarah is. And that's why Chinelo is who Chinelo is. And that's why blessing is who blessing is. God wrote it out. Three billion characters. Some of us might wish God had changed a character here or there, right? Maybe a little more hair. But you know what? It's not that funny, Ishita. It wasn't that funny. <laughs> we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? Fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you don't believe that, you haven't looked at a science book lately. You just haven't. Go look at the latest science. Darwinism is dead. The scientists just aren't telling you this yet. It's dead. It's dead. God's glory is on display in outer space and in inner space. So you, your soul, your life, your body, your marriage, your singleness, your sexuality, your kids, your career, your money, your hobbies, your leisure, your plans, your dreams, your trials, your pain, your persecutions, your heartaches, and your sicknesses, and even your death are all meant to bring glory to God. All of those things are a platform for the glory of God. That's what all of those things are. They are a platform for the glory of God. And what's the second thing I always tell you when I tell you it's for the glory of God? Anybody remember? Somebody's got to remember, right? It's always for the glory of God and for the joy of His people. It's always about that. Everything's about that. It's when I go to this conference and I, I study this cell and, I, and I'm just worshiping God. It's incredible. Listen, how could a, any man, how could a, any man who studies the body or the brain or anything, how could they not be provoked to worship? How, 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 can, how is that possible? I don't know. Well, we know. It's Romans chapter 1, pushing down the truth, pushing down the truth. I'm holding down the truth of God. I won't believe God even if all the evidence points to God. I'll never believe God. I don't want God. I want my license to sin however I please. It's the only reason Darwin still exists in the lexicon. It's an ideology. It's not science. So when I tell you that all of your life is a platform for the glory of God, does that sound like a burden or does that sound like a joy? If you know Him, you get it. It sounds like joy. It's joy. If it feels like a burden, you've not rightly understood who He is, nor have you rightly understood your reason for walking around on this earth. I'm not saying it will always be easy, but I'm saying it is a joy. To allow every platform of my life to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. If you know Him, you want more of Him, and the way to get more of God is to obey Him increasingly in every sphere. It's John 14, 21. If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. 
and I will disclose myself to you. We can do hard things. We're called to do hard things. We're called to do risky things. We're called to do costly things. We just saw it in Hebrews 11. And we can do it. We will do it. This is not theoretical for us. We will do it. Whatever God's called us to, we will do it. Because we love Him more than anything else. And we want Him above all things. And He gives Himself to us increasingly as we obey Him. So as some of you prepare to leave us, I just want to give you some simple promises from Scripture. Uh, to, so you remember how completely God, God is committed to you. Uh, just a couple of passages to underscore God's passionate commitment to you. As I mentioned to you earlier, the Bible not only tells, tells us uh, that God is with us and that God is in us, the Bible clearly tells us, Romans chapter 8, verse 31, that God is for us. So I'm just going to stop and ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe God is for you? If you believe that, if you believe the Word of God, if you believe the Bible is the Word of God, are you acting on it? Are you living your life like God is for you? Or are you still living afraid? You have to throw off the fear. Remember we saw it a couple of weeks ago as we looked at Matthew 14, 29, when Peter got out of the boat. Remember when Jesus was coming to the men uh, in, in the storm, when he's walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost and, and, and they were afraid. And remember what, what did Jesus say? Anybody remember? What did Jesus say? Fear not! Take courage! It's me! And I made the point that eight times in the New Testament, uh, this comes off the lips of Jesus. Take courage. So I challenged you. Are you taking courage in your Christianity? Or are you still living like, uh, you know, you're afraid out there? You're afraid of your boss, or you're afraid of your peers, or you're afraid at the school, or you're afraid of your spouse, or you're afraid of whatever. Fear not. Take courage. You be a radical witness, you let Jesus take care of all the consequences. Right? This is actually what Jesus says. Several times in the Gospels, and God will bring His almighty omnipotence to bear in your life, whatever your circumstance is, I used the analogy earlier, um, the 400 plus billion galaxies. If he can do that, don't you think he can handle your problem? I don't know. What do you think? Don't you think he has enough power to, to get in your life and do what he wants to do? You say, well, Jim, it's not going like I would like for it to go. Well, that's not really the issue. The issue is, are you offering your life up to God and letting God have his way in your life? That's really the issue for the true believer. Now, I know that... The, the, the person who's merely a church goer or a church member who's not truly following Christ, it's, you think God is here to serve you and make your life happy. He may well make, he, make your life circumstantially happy, but that's never His promise in Scripture. He never promises circumstantial happiness. He doesn't promise that here. You may have it, and most of us do have it in abundance, but that is not the promise. That promise is for there. We may have hard times here. And the harder they get, the more glory we can give to Christ. We give glory to Christ in the blessing. We give glory to Christ in the trial. He gets glory in both. 
We don't whine. We don't complain. We don't moan. We don't wring our hands. We let God be God in our life. And we just worship Jesus. It's not hard, is it? That's not hard, is it? That's pretty simple. That's all we have to do, beloved. That's all we have to do. Listen, I, I wanted to make this point to you um, about the power of God. I, I did a little, some, I did some Googling yesterday. And uh, I see so many Christians that are afraid to to really open their hands with Jesus and say, take everything I am and everything I have. I see this a lot. I see it all the time. And I'm always curious about this. And I thought, well, how can I illustrate how silly this is? Because if he can speak 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. So I, I just did a simple thing. I just want to share it with you because now I have this knowledge and I have to tell, I have to, tell to somebody and it's you. So the earth is 12,000 kilometers in diameter, okay? The sun is about 115 times that. The sun is 1.3 million kilometers in diameter. But I wanted to know how big the biggest star was that we know about. And it's called, does anybody know? Huh? Yes, it is. He's a genius. He's a genius. Uh, it's called... V.Y. Canis Majoris, as Orazio correctly said. All right, get this. It's 2.8 trillion kilometers in diameter. Okay, what I want you to hear. That's 2,000 times larger than our sun. 2,000 times larger than that giant ball in the sky that heats this planet. It's 230 times larger than the earth. 230 times, 230,000 times, let me get it right, 230,000 times larger than the earth. And you can't speak the name of Jesus in your business or at the university or in the neighborhood. He effortlessly speaks 400 plus billion galaxies into existence and you don't think he's got your back? Are you kidding me? Really? Serious. Are you serious? Of course he's got your back. Nothing will ever come into your life that God's not using for a purpose. And so the true Christian receives it, the biblically literate Christian receives it. We may have to cry, but we worship. Right? We worship. Even if it's hard, God says, the nations are nothing before me, and the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers before me. God says, no one can stay my hand. I do whatever I please. Isaiah says, God says through his prophet, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. <laughs> we are utterly and totally free, beloved, because He's committed to us. He is committed to us. Who can turn back the outstretched 
arms of Jehovah God. We always get the ultimate victory. Isaiah was sawn in two. He got the victory. How did he get the victory? He made much of God in it. He made much of God in that hard place. There's no such thing as a fair-weather Christian. Those are all pseudo-Christians. Those are all false Christians. If you're only going to walk with God, if He seems to be blessing you in the appropriate manner, you don't know anything about the Bible, you don't know anything about Jesus Christ, you don't know anything about being a disciple. All you have to do is read it with average comprehension skills and you realize sometimes it goes bad in a temporal sense for the believer. But it never goes bad in an eternal sense. I'm going to briefly go through some scripture here. Jeremiah 31.3. You've got to love this, right? Don't ever forget this. I know you know this. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you to myself with loving kindness. If you're a Christian tonight, it's only because God has set his heart upon you. It's not because you were smart enough to figure it out. It's because of sovereign grace. Before the foundation of the world, God loved His people. Ephesians chapter 1, you got a problem with it? Go read Ephesians chapter 1 and deal with it. Go read Romans 8, Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, John 6. Go read it and deal with it if you don't like God's sovereignty in the salvation of His people. But God likes it a lot. He talks about it all the time. I think men who discount that are in a really bad place. It does not please God. God saves His people. It's what the Lord tells us. As long as God's been God, He's loved us. He, as I said, He set His heart upon us nine times. In the Gospel of John, we are called a gift, a loved gift from the Father to the Son. Jesus says, I'll never lose any of them. And God is giving us Luke chapter 12. He's giving us the kingdom. Romans chapter 8. He's freely giving us all things. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. He's blessing us with every spiritual blessing. Back to Romans 8. We are co-heirs with Christ. Nobody do me like Jesus. Amen? Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. I just want you to remember these things. Jeremiah, 20, uh, Jer Jeremiah 32, 40 to 41. God says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing them good. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good with all my heart and all my soul. Of course, you know Romans 8.28. It comes up in my preaching all the time. We know that God is causing everything to work together for good to those who love Him, those called according to His purpose. Every other promise of the Bible is in Romans 8.28. So I really I could just uh, preached on that. So on our worst day, God is doing something. On our worst day, not only has God known about it, He's been at work on this. Not only has He been at work uh, on this, He's been He He's purposed all of this to come into being, that He might do something mighty in us and through us for His glory and our joy. If you don't understand this simple formula, you won't understand how to live your life. It's for the glory of God and it's for my joy. And the more I give glory to God, the more joy I get. 
You say, Jim, I don't have any joy. Well, I'll say to you, you're not, glorify, you're not consciously glorifying God in your life. Or there's some sphere of your life where you've left off and you just simply say, I will not obey God there. I want what I want. And of course, if that's your attitude, you've got every reason to question the legitimacy of the salvation of your soul. If that is your attitude. You can have no assurance of salvation if that is your attitude. I'm not saying that we are not weak and dull at times, and certainly we fall into sin. That's not what I'm saying. But if your attitude is, I want my sin more than I want Him, I don't think you know Him. I'm pretty sure you don't know Him. And you have every reason to question the salvation of your soul. John 17, 9, Jesus prays to His Father, he says, I don't pray for the world. I pray for the ones that you've given me. Jesus prays for us in John 17. Jesus prays for us in Romans 8. The, 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 the Holy Spirit is interceding for us in Romans 8. This is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a worship-provoking thing. Beloved, I hope you think deeply about this. And 60 days ago when we talked about Peter walking on the water, I, I, I think I, I referenced some of David's psalms where he talks about God's watch care. David says, the Lord's my shield. He's my shield. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my refuge. In the day of trouble, He conceals me. He's my hiding place. He preserves me from trouble. He is a very present help in time of need. He is a tower of strength. And I take refuge in the shelter of His wings. He is a rock of habitation. David says, my hope is from God. This is what I'm trying to say to you. I've been, I've been pushing you around for six months. Radically commit to Christ. Radically commit to Christ. And now I'm telling you, not only can you, but you should, and every true Christian will, because He's radically committed to us. He's radically committed to us. It's all through the Bible. I love Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in His love. He will exalt over you with shouts of joy. Psalm 149.4, for the Lord takes pleasure in His people. Psalm 147.11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Psalm 35.27, the Lord delights in the welfare of His servant. Beloved, <laughs> you have license, man. You have license. You have license to be a disciple in the world. God is not dispassionate, apathetic, lethargic, disinterested, or half-hearted, or distracted when it comes to His children. You have His full and undivided, omnipotent attention. Again, nothing is going to come into your life by accident. It's not good luck, it's not bad luck, it's not serendipitous. God is doing something sovereignly in your life, always. His hands are on you, He's bringing you into conformity with His Son, He's bringing you on into sanctification. So, what are we going to do with all this? Here, here's a few suggestions that I'm done. Is this just beautiful theology? Or does God expect us to live it in the world? Is this merely meant to make us feel warm and fuzzy on Sunday? Or is this to animate us Monday through Saturday?
Let me just say this. If you're still living like the world, you have to stop. Or just stop calling yourself a Christian. <laughs> you can't live like the world and think like the world and plan like the world. You're an a Christians are, are aliens. We, we don't do that. We're not even on that wavelength anymore. We don't even really understand what they're doing. We don't get what they're doing. Except Romans 1, we understand. They're suppressing the truth of God within their own conscience and in their own mind. So if you're still living like the world, I'm, I challenge you, you've got to stop doing it. You need to even question where you are with God. Real Christians can't live that small. We can't live that petty. We simply can't live in that place. God's called us to a beautiful life, a life of faith. He's called us to Hebrews 11. We not only believe that God is, we believe that God is good. And because we believe that God is and God is good, we live like His people. We don't compromise with the world. And we saw in Hebrews 11:16, God says, when my people live like that, I'm not ashamed to be their God. And I absolutely love, there's nothing else like that in the Bible anywhere where God says something like that. And it's right there in the faith chapter. So I'm going to ask you, are, are you living your faith? Or are you merely a church member and a church attender? I'm not ashamed to be their God, God, uh, God says. Don't you want to live like that? Don't you want to live every day like that? Don't you want to make much of Jesus? It's always true, beloved, every day. I want you to leave here thinking about this. It's always true, every day. Ain't nobody do you like Jesus. And so what are we supposed to do with that? Everything. Go do everything. Whatever God calls you to do, whatever God leads you to do, whatever gifts and talents God has given you, go employ them for the glory of Jesus, for the joy of your soul. What are we supposed to do with this kind of license? We're supposed to go do everything we're called to do. We're never supposed to shrink back from one thing. Go do everything. You know, we're all called to different things. I'm a preacher. That's what I do. You're something else. That's what you do. But we're all disciples, right? <laughs> we're all disciples. So whatever your sphere is, your sphere of influence, your orbit of influence, that's your platform. Make much of Jesus. You can make much of Jesus because He is God. And at the end of the day, nothing else really matters very much. He is our God. He is our Creator. He is our Redeemer. And we will spend forever in His blinding and breathtaking beauty, worshiping Him and serving Him and loving Him. So go, those of you who are leaving, go with full assurance and all confidence. You can be a radical disciple. Everyone in this room can be and will be. If you're converted, you will be a radical disciple. It's not if, it's when. You will be a radical disciple of Jesus. You will be if you're converted. If you know Him, you will be. It's inevitable. You're in love with 
with God. You know God. You can't live small anymore. So there you go. I hope that's encouraging. God is for us. He's radically committed to us. Yeah, go live it. Yes, I almost forgot. We're going to have communion tonight. Forgive me. Um,